It's the vultures that give it away. Ten or maybe fifteen birds circling lazily in a bright blue African sky. We're on our way to a poaching scene. Two nights ago, a rhino was gunned down near the Malalan gate. The poacher's left her calf, an animal so small she could be flown to safety in the back of a helicopter. When we arrived, the police and forensics investigators were still scouring the crime scene. Senior investigator Frick Rousseau briefed us on what was happening. All right, the golden rule is don't run. There's nothing out there that would like to eat you that you can run from. If you haven't been to the scene, I'm going to ask you all to wait. We will go closer, just secure the scene, see what's going on. We're not going to start processing this scene until the police have arrived. The team visiting these scenes consists of ourselves, Sand Park staff from Environmental Crime Investigations. There's one police detective and one police forensic investigator as well. When we get there, I'm going to ask Russell to go and see what's happened there on the ground. He's a very good tracker, so that's one of his tasks, is to go and interpret what happened there. We would like to know what happened before the bullet arrived there. As it happened, the investigators had missed something. I almost stepped on a spent shell casing, gleaming softly in the dry earth. It came from a .458 hunting rifle. This was the weapon with which the rhino had been gunned down. The cartridge lay about 15 feet, about 5 meters, from the rhino herself. She had been shot at point-blank range. I spoke to Frick Rousseau about the poachers and how he feels when he comes to a scene like this. All right, my name is Frick Rousseau. I'm a senior investigator in San Parkes Environmental Crime Investigation Service. Frick, can you tell me how the poaching methods have evolved over time and what lessons you've learned from coming to all these scenes? Yeah, well, without making poachers more cleverer, um, you know, over the years, especially since the start of Project Rhino in 2012, poachers have changed their, their methods on a year-to-year basis. As we have success in a specific area in a specific way, they change and adopt their tactics as well. But I think over the years, we learned how to manage the problem much better. Secondly, we became a bit more cleverer. Things like the canine unit has been added onto lots of arrests and very good sentences. And all of those have urged poachers to try and do things differently, which quite often counts in our favor. Now, these two incidents have happened very close to the road, which suggests that either they're desperate or they've got help. Can you comment on that? One's first thought is they were, that they were properly dropped off because there were no tracks found coming in from the southern side. It doesn't give the rangers much leeway. I mean, we're only 300 meters from this road. And uh, this was probably shot at night. There's not a ranger station nearby. There probably wasn't anybody nearby who could hear the shots. When you arrive on the scene eight or ten hours later, it's way too late. And you get used to a lot of things, but not the carnage, not the slaughter. What poachers often do is they kill the calf simply because it's harassing them while they're removing the horns. We drove back to Satara in a somber mood. Nobody really wanted to think about what they'd seen, about that carcass lying in the bush and three others nearby. No one really wanted to think about a baby rhino so small, so small, she could be flown out of the park in the back seat of a helicopter. That afternoon, we went to Satara Airfield to meet a microlide aircraft called a Bathawk. It's an open cockpit machine with a single engine, and it has proved a vital tool in the war against poachers. 
Andrew Desmet, Section Ranger Latava. The, the kind of flying we do, you know, I, I said reconnaissance, checking where your animals are. You know, at the moment we know rhino poaching is a huge thing. You want to see where your rhino herd is because they're very mobile, where your water points are. And you can quickly do a patrol like that where previously you might have to send your guys on foot for quite a long time to find out exactly what's happening. You can do it in the morning. You know, and a poacher can almost be anyone. Typically, my section borders the eastern boundary. So I see a lot of incursions coming from Mozambique. The guys that we've caught generally are from the villages close to Kruger. They've grown up in the bush. Their bush skills are never to be underestimated. These guys come into the park. They spend three, four nights in the park. All they've got is a backpack with basic foodstuffs in. Now, if you speak to anyone about poaching and about poachers, the conventional wisdom is that these are poor people driven to desperate measures to support their families. I wouldn't always say poor, hungry people because remember, once these guys get used to that lifestyle, they actually become relatively wealthy in their communities. And that's when they might start buying more rifles, sending groups themselves and maybe getting less involved themselves. We also see poachers coming from the western boundary, from South Africa. A lot of the Mozambicans have dual nationality and they've got family on both sides of our border. They can come through legally into South Africa and then poach from the, the western boundary. You know, we've caught one of our own, a regional ranger, Rodney. A huge disappointment to us rangers. That was a, a guy most of us held in very high regard the last person we would have expected to be involved in poaching. And he wasn't poor. He would have been my boss, you know. You were shot, am I right? Yes. Hearing it? When did that happen? Uh, 2013. It was in an anti-poaching operation. I was deploying an army team along the Lataba River. It was a last-minute thing. They came to me and said, please, can you get a spot for us? And I took them out. And while they were being deployed, I saw poachers uh, in the river. And I said, there's no one else here. We need to go and arrest those guys. And then I, I led one army guy, a, a lieutenant. Um, and uh, we, we were following up on these guys, but they were quite far off from us. So we were moving through the bushes. He lost sight of me and uh, landed up mistaking me for a poacher and shot me in the back. Yeah. Five times. Yeah. Five times. Wow. Yeah. You were very lucky. I was very yeah. lucky to survive, yeah. One of our pilots in the park uh, who flies a squirrel helicopter saved my life, basically. Landing on the banks of the Latava at night because it was dark uh, and flew me to Nelspreit. I got to Nelspreit probably about four hours after the incident, yeah. Then I spent the next few, few months there. <laughs> Most of it in a coma, yeah. It's like a war, yes. The pressure's intense. Daily incursions, you know, you'll get these successes where you arrest the guys and then the very next day you can be chasing another group, you know. We don't always catch the guys, but often the aircraft's there and it's created a massive disturbance, the guys go out again, so without getting anything. So those are also successes without an arrest. So. And then how does it end? What's the future? I'd love this poaching pressure to die down, you know. I'd love to see the market collapse for these products. That's what's driving this whole thing. It's the demand for rhino horn, ivory, pangolins, lion bones, vulture heads. <laughs> and because the poachers are getting such good money for these goods, that's what's giving them the motivation. If there was no market, they wouldn't do it, you know. The days are long gone, 
when a ranger could head out with a .458 hunting rifle for protection and maybe a dog for company and go and patrol his section on foot. Now the anti-poaching teams have to go out in groups. They have aircraft. There are helicopters to fly the reaction teams to crime scenes in the hope of catching poachers red-handed. A visit to the Mission Area Joint Operations Center will leave you in no doubt that this is in fact a war. The Mission Area's regional manager, Mbongeni Tukela, had this to say. Mbongeni Tukela, Mission Area Manager for the Kruger National Park. If there was, a, say, a visual of poachers, we're guaranteed an arrest once we bring an aircraft overhead. Now the guys have learned tactics to avoid that. The success rate has come really down from when they started. Most of the time, when the aircraft is coming their way, they will stand still, they take cover. Aircraft passes, they run. So they are adaptable. Now we've adapted our tactics. We hurry them with dogs so they can't run from the aircraft and run from the dog. Something must give. Do you find it quite emotional, this kind of work you're doing? You're trying to catch poachers, there's quite a lot of danger. How does that make you feel? It makes you numb, actually. Emotion fell by the wayside a long time ago. You just numb. Now, when you get to a scenario, you know you're powerless, can't do anything. You just need to be realistic and try and uh, deal with it. And do you think you'll win? We are winning. So I'm not looking to the future, I'm looking at the now. We're winning now. Despite the considerable tragedies, and there are many in this park, there is also a bright side. It's not all gloom and doom. At 3 a.m. the next morning, we climbed onto trucks and took a bitterly cold ride to the middle of the park. Here, at a clearing in the bush, a game capture operation was underway. Animals, mostly wildebeest, were being captured for translocation to Mozambique to restock a park that was devastated during that country's 17-year-long civil war. Leading the operation is a game capture expert named Lawrence de Lange, Operations Coordinator from Sandbox. Can you just take me to the species again that you're going to capture today? It will be blue wildebeest, hopefully. That's the plan. A game capture operation is a fascinating thing to watch. Think of it as modern cow herding. The chopper is the horse and the pilot is the cowboy. Using the chopper and a siren, the pilot will select a group of wildebeest and herd them gently towards the clearing. The clearing is surrounded by screens, which lead to a chute. The animals run into the chute and just keep on going. Okay, we're well, not too far there. If you're going a lot quicker, can I keep coming? Yeah, but we're ready for you. Okay, we're on the way. A uh, small group, only 11 it looks like. Okay, you alone or Brad with you? I'm taking it from my own. And once they're in the chute, the vet and her assistants will give the animals a mild sedative using a kind of long-pronged injection. During a moment of calm, when there were no animals galloping up the chute and banging the side of the truck, I went to track down the vet. My name is Dr. Angela Bruns, and I'm a clinical veterinarian for St. Parks. Today we're going to catch some Volibius. You might have noticed it was a very early start, and that's one way to keep the conditions as 
ideal as possible. We want to catch when it's very cool because obviously we're chasing the animals. We try not to actually really chase them. We try to walk them more if we can, but you sometimes have to give them a little bit of an impetus and make them actually go where you, where you like. We're certainly stressing the animals a little bit, so that's why we try to keep the other environmental conditions as calm or as cool as possible so it doesn't add extra, like temperature stress and all that stuff on it. Uh, with wildebeers, once they're on the truck, we will tranquilize them. They're getting a medium long-term tranquilizer that will calm them down for about uh, a day. That should last them for the trip until they get offloaded on the other side. Yes. What kind of injuries do they get? Um, they, uh, If they're on the truck, with wildebeers especially, they horn themselves. So He's using that siren either to hurt the volubius a bit, but he's also using it to indicate when people actually have to close the curtains. Um, so. This has been the Sunday Times Travel Podcast, and I'm Paul Ash. Keep an ear out for our next episode. Until then, as they say in Tanzania, Safari and Jemma. Travel safely.